Good afternoon, everybody, and um, welcome to today's uh, professional development event hosted by ourselves here at the Fashion Network. Um, today, we are going to be looking at the future of Google Shopping. Um, I'd like to start off by thanking today's partners, uh, the guys at Shoptimize who have partnered with this event, who you will hear from shortly. Uh, just a few uh, kind of like house rules if you wish um if you are happen to be watching this uh, at a later date or uh, on our youtube channel please click like and subscribe if you're watching us on youtube now unfortunately the chat facility on there isn't being monitored so you won't be able to pose any questions but you'll obviously be able to listen to the event um, if you would like to ask any question of our speakers or panelists today you can do it by two ways so firstly you can Put any comments or questions in the chat box uh, or if you're feeling brave you can raise your hand uh, and that will allow us to turn your mic on and you'll be able to speak to our panelists in the second half of this session uh, via audio uh, just to let you know how the event will run uh, shortly you will see two uh, presentations by the guys at google uh, they will be just talking us through um, uh, some of the developments of uh, google shopping ads um, and then after the presentations, we will have a panel discussion. Um, and then after the event at three o'clock, we will have a post event networking uh, session. And you are all welcome to join us there in the audience. Um, before uh, I get to introduce our speakers today, I would just uh, really appreciate if our audience could just let us know uh, where in the world you are from and what do you do? This will just give us an idea of maybe how to tailor our conversation. So that's where in the world are you from, either country or city, um, or, uh, and sorry, uh, the job role that you do. Uh, I can start it. I'm um, the director of the Fashion Network and I'm here in uh, the UK, the very hot UK at the moment. Anyway, without further ado, I'd just like to introduce uh, our speakers today. Um, uh, can you just, I'm going to start with James first, if that's okay. James, can you just tell us about um, who you are and what your area of expertise in, if you can, just a quick 30 seconds. And, um, yeah, yeah. my name's James Lee, so I'm Head of Client Services at Salesfire. So what um, myself and Salesfire specialise in, we have a suite of tools to help increase conversion rates for e-commerce retailers through behavioural overlays, search, image search and recognition, things like that. So that's what I'll be uh, contributing more of today. Thanks, James. And Richard, you're uh, over in Sunny Island. Just tell us what your area of expertise is, if you can. And your job role? That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm over in sunny Ireland at the moment. Um, so I'm a technical specialist here at Google. I deal with uh, comparative shopping service clients, so CSS clients. Primarily, anything to do with Merchant Centre would be my area of expertise. Brilliant. And Oivin, you're over there in Scandinavia. Just tell us a little bit about your expertise, please. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm Oivin. I'm a senior growth consultant at, uh, at Google. And like Richard, um, I work with growing comparison shopping services, so so CSSs, but more on the uh, business development side of things. Thank you. And John, lastly, and by no means leastly, uh, just tell us what your area of expertise, you're up there in the northeast of England, aren't you? Yeah, so I'm a director at Shoptimize. Uh, we specialize in product feed optimization and driving more revenue on Google Shopping. Brilliant. Um, is there anything else you want to say? Because obviously uh, you're uh, sponsoring today's event and running it with us. Is there anything else you want to say about Shoptimize? Or 
no, no. It's, uh, we we pretty much do what we see on the tin. I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to to hearing what the guys have got to share with us today, and then and getting in, stuck into the discussion. Brilliant. Okay. Well, without further ado, then I'd like to introduce uh, Oivin. I'm just going to uh, close my screen down now. Uh, Oivin, you're just just going to talk us through a little bit about what new developments are coming up with Google Shopping Ads. It's a quick presentation, about five, ten minutes. And then after that, we've got Richard, uh, who will be talking to us a little bit about Google Manufacture Center. So, Oivin, do you want to just uh, bring up your slides and just let us know what's coming up with you guys at Google? Absolutely. Uh, uh, uh. Can you see my screen? Yes. Brilliant. So um, as, as they were saying, uh, I'm going to go through the uh, shopping ads roadmap for the last half of 2021. Hang on, Ivan, it's not come up, not loaded just yet. Is it not? No. Can anybody it's else see it? Option. I can't see anything at the moment, no. Let me try to stop and share again. Da -da. How about now? Yes. Yeah. Business. Fantastic. Uh, so yeah, um, as they were saying, I am going to share a little bit about the shopping ads roadmap uh, for the last half now of 2021. Uh, one small disclaimer is that for some of these things uh, that you're about to see, there is not a whole lot I can say about it as some of these features are still at a rather early stage. Um, however, I'll try to give you as good of a picture as I can about, on uh, what's about to come. So 2020 has completely uh, reset our expectations. There is a pandemic going on, uh, which has significantly changed digital and physical shopping habits, as I'm sure uh, you've all noticed, as well as consumer expectations. So uh, I've highlighted three main insights that we've made at Google here. Uh, and the first one is that um, is something that Google has been emphasizing for a while already, which is the importance of reaching people where they are. Consumers are increasingly uh, using channels of discovery when browsing for products. And as you see here with e-commerce sales growing by almost a third year over year, it is important that retailers know how and where uh, to be found by consumers. And uh, over 50% of shoppers uh, have made purchase decisions with the help of videos, for example, and I'm definitely one of those, so I can, I can attest to that. The second point here shows one of the more significant uh, developments that we've seen as a result of the pandemic, which is uh, the increase in curbside pickup or BOPIS, so buy online, uh, pick up in store. From just short of 7% in December 2019 to 43% in October 2020, and uh, October 2020 is a while ago, so uh, the number today is uh, likely way higher than this. Um, and this is, this is quite a natural development when uh, COVID measures came into place, requiring many physical stores to either limit foot traffic or to just allow pickup. Uh, however, we don't expect this number to drop significantly post-pandemic. The last point is all about insights and navigating uncertainty. Uh, now, measuring return of investment uh, from marketing initiatives is a challenge for nearly half the brands out there. And uh, we've also been told that a third of brands 
We're struggling to uncover good insights from customer data. And most importantly, turning those insights uh, into actions. Uh, a key point that we found during the pandemic is that the ability to act fast and being agile in the face of uncertainty has been a significant uh, strength for some. And we've got a lot of resources towards helping retailers make better sense of their data through automation. So here I just want to give you a very quick overview of the guiding principles uh, behind the roadmap. So this is based on the insights that we just went through in the previous slide. Um, we want to offer goal-based solutions uh, targeted towards business objectives. Uh, we want to give shoppable experiences. So uh, engaging across all channels and as I mentioned, creating awareness. Uh, we want to offer full funnel commerce. So we want to bridge the millions of users that can be reached uh, seamlessly, both online and offline. Uh, obviously, machine learning is something that uh, we at Google have been talking about for a while. Uh, and this keeps being a, a central point, uh, empowering uh, with transparent automation. And we want to offer actionable insights, as I just mentioned as well. Uh, fueling data-driven decision-making based on, uh, on the data that each retailer sits with. So jumping into the product roadmap, this starts off with, uh, with shopping campaigns with partners. Uh, this is a topic that, that my colleague Rich uh, will touch on as well. But in short, it is a collaborative shopping campaign type where brands and retailers uh, work together to succeed on shopping campaigns. Shopping on YouTube feeds into the goal that I brought up about shoppable experiences, where I, as a retailer, want to reach potential customers in their moment of, of inspiration. Uh, I can use shopping ads on YouTube to put my inventory right in front of a potential customer, right at the moment uh, when they're getting inspired by, by something they're watching. And keeping with the theme of, of inspiring users, uh, we're also launching video action campaigns powered by Merchant Center. Uh, video action campaigns, they are basically the new evolution of something that many of you may know, which is TrueView for Action. Uh, and they use the action format combined with smart bidding to offer ads when users are watching videos or on the YouTube home feed and also for Google video partners, uh, all in order to help drive performance at scale. Discovery ads can be used to connect with customers on YouTube, on Google Discover, which is uh, yeah, kind of suggested content on mobile uh, and on Gmail. And we're now leveraging Merchant Center assets to make discovery ads dynamic. Uh, note that this is currently still an alpha and we've had to uh, push back the beta launch uh, by, by quite a bit. So shoppable display ads, uh, these let you create interactive shopping experiences using something called collections uh, in Merchant Center. Uh, the picture here kind of explains it all. Uh, you can essentially buy what you see in a photo, i.e. a display ad. Uh, video display ads are built on much the same concept uh, as shoppable ads or shoppable display ads, uh, but they use video, either your own assets uh, as a marketer or Google generated uh, to create responsive display ads. And this is now uh, actually fully launched. If we look at local inventory ads, 
these have gotten a lot of attention uh, throughout the pandemic. Uh, you saw the, the rise in the last, uh, in one of the previous slides from, from, uh, from 8% to, to 46, I think. Um, and these allow users to see in the shopping ad, the nearest physical store where, the, where they can buy an item. And we keep building out this ad format because uh, it's had such a, such a tremendous uh, growth. So curbside pickup, as mentioned, and store pickup, some of the major new developments here, and there is a lot more to come. This next feature, uh, something that many retailers have actually been asking about for, uh, for a while, and this is the option to highlight free shipping policies and fast shipping. Uh, the information is pulled from Merchant Center, and we'll show here, as you can see, as small annotations on the shopping ads. Uh, we're also expanding the use of seller ratings through H2, so merchants can show their ratings on more shopping surfaces. This next feature, uh, this is available for smart shopping campaigns only, uh, and this is the new customer acquisition only goal, uh, meaning that merchants will be able to set dedicated new customer budgets for their campaigns and optimize towards either a ROAS or a customer acquisition cost goal. Now, uh, lastly, to finish off, I want to take you very quickly through four improvements that were made to address the challenge that I mentioned uh, in the beginning of making insights from customer data actionable. So these are the bestsellers report. Uh, this lets uh, retailers see the most popular products and brands and also uh, relative demand on shopping ads letting merchants make better decisions on inventory, assortments, uh, and, uh, and the like. The price competitiveness report. Uh, this lets retailers compare pricing relative to other businesses selling the same items, which makes it easier to diagnose uh, sales performance and pricing decisions, for example. We've also refined performance boarding, uh, letting users set up custom reports and dashboards in, in Merchant Center. Some of you may be familiar with this kind of layout uh, from Google Ads. And now we've also introduced that power uh, into Merchant Center. Finally, we're trialing uh, automated discounts in some select countries, which leverages machine learning signals to set automated discounts uh, on items. Of course, within a price range uh, defined by the merchant. So that's a quick run through of the shopping roadmap uh, from me, and I hope you found it useful. Thanks, Ivan. Um, and now, Richard, I'm just going to hand over to you. You've got a, sh a short um, uh, presentation about Google Manufacture Center. So just let us know uh, briefly about what that is, please. And you're on mute as well. That I am. Good start. Um, can you see my screen? You sure can. Perfect. Fire away. Hi, all. I want to talk to you today about Manufacture Center. So this is a sister product to Merchant Center. And I wanted to outline the opportunities that it has from both a manufacturer or brand owner perspective, but also from an advertiser perspective. So what's on the agenda today? Three main topics I want to cover. First, what is Manufacture Center? Secondly, how does it work? And finally, how to optim best optimize your product data on Manufacture Center. So what is Manufacture Center? 
Historically, product data has always come from retailers. Then based on GTINs, we compile these product data and present it back to users. This left us with a bit of a problem. When two advertisers upload different data for one product, which should we choose? To solve this, we created Manufacturer Center. This is a place where brand owners can submit authoritative product data to be used across Google. Brand owners can upload robust product information to help Google connect your product to the right users, which can help drive better performance. They can also share official brand approved content to be used across Google. Once submitted, the data is processed for our system and it ultimately helps in, in improve the experience across Google. So Manufacturer Center is a platform that allows manufacturers and brands to submit, submit authoritative product data which can be used to, product, to power ads across Google. Better product data not only helps inform the user about the product, but it also helps us at Google determine which users should see these products. This means that better product data frequently leads to more impressions and more clicks. Manufacturer Center gives brands and manufacturers better tools to influence how their products are represented across Google. So what is required to participate? Well, firstly, we need a product. Um, it needs to be sold by at least one retailer, but for access to the more advanced analytics, uh, we need more than five retailers. The products need a valid GTIN, so we can tie it back to products and a brand behind it. We also need a corporate contact for that brand. And finally, product data does need to be uploaded to Manufacturer Center. So there's three key benefits to participation in Manufacturer Center. The first is access to advanced analytics. For the first time, Google is releasing product-level analytics, including impressions, clicks, and click-through rates. In addition, manufacturers can see the comparison to category benchmarks. They can download up to 12 weeks of historical data for all of this, for all eligible products. Secondly, it's brand experience. Manufacturer Center provides brands with the ability to influence how their products are shown across Google. They can upload better images, better descriptions, and more. This helps products be shown consistently and in the best light. Finally, improved performance. Brands have seen increased traffic driven by the fact that more relevant ads can be shown to more relevant users based off their search queries. When we have authoritative data, we can create official product records in our system, which enables us to better match queries to products. These matched ads tend to collectively perform better, um, generating more traffic to the product. If a retailer is advertising a product, the extra data is added invisibly um, from Manufacturer Center onto the retail's ad, retailer's ad. This helps it be more relevant when it comes to search queries. And in some cases, we have seen traffic to retailers page grow by more than 20%. One important thing to note is that we don't always choose the manufacturer centered data. Sometimes the advertiser data is better than what the manufacturer provides, in which case we might still just keep the advertiser's data. So how does it work? In the interest of time, I won't be covering the step-by-step -step guide to setting up a manufacturer center, but you can easily find that online. Instead, I want you to cover how the data in Manufacturer Center is used. So firstly, the shopping catalog. Providing detailed, robust, and authoritative product data in Manufacturer Center 
allows us to better understand your products and its defining attributes and is used to enrich Google's overall product category. The better we understand your products, the better we can match them to search queries across the Google ecosystem. And as mentioned, this has seen uplift of more than 20% in some cases. Manufacturer Center also gives access to new ad formats, um, such as shopping campaigns with partners that Oyvind mentioned previously. This is probably the most interesting part of this presentation from an advertiser standpoint. This format allows advertisers to partner with manufacturers to share the cost of an ad campaign for a particular brand. So why do this? It allows a growth in sales through joint investment, allows an access to a larger customer database, it allows omni-channel impact for the brand, driving uh, foot traffic to brick and mortar stores, and finally, and probably most importantly, increases the shopping density across PLA ads for a particular brand. Manufacturer Center also allows for additional analytics. So firstly, we have group analytics. If your product catalog has products which vary by distinguishing features such as size, color, or material, you may want to compare these across the different product groups. So we have a couple of available uh, reports that you can run through Manufacturer Center. Firstly, key performance indicators. Also, top products with shared impressions and top search terms. We can offer, also offer price trend analytics. So you can monitor the changes in market price of your product. So this includes price changes, manufacturer suggested retail price gaps, and price trends. Now, to access this advanced level of analytics, we do need at least five retailers um, selling your products. So finally, organizing and optimizing your product data. So these are the points that are required to set up your manufacturer uh, center experience. ID, GTIN, brand, title, description, and image link. These are your standard attributes that you'd find in Merchant Center, but giving the brand control to provide the best quality data available. There are also some more familiar, more granular data points that are not required that the brand can also add. These are size, color, gender, age gap, flavor, scent, and count. These allow Google to make a more detailed product page for a particular product. Additionally, these attributes will be added invisibly to a advertiser's bid um, once they enter the auction. So these are uh, suggested retail price. Uh, this could be used with your price reporting and also item group ID. So these, this is used to group different variations on a particular product. And finally, uh, we have product line information. So product line allows brand to add a sub-brand or a collection for a recognizable name by consumers. They can also add product name. So this differs slightly from product title. Product title will have your variations included, um, whereas the product name is, allows you to group multiple product titles without their variance, be that size or color. Finally, we have product type. This helps us understand how your products best fit, fit together and is a, a point that you should be familiar with from Google Merchant Center. And with that, uh, bring to an end Google Manufacturer Center. Thank you very much for listening to me. Thank you, uh, Richard, and thank you, Ivan. Um, 
obviously you two guys aren't able to join us for the panel discussion, but if people want to learn more, uh, how can they get hold of you or connect with you guys or what's the best thing for them to do? Yep, so in, in terms of information on, on everything we've covered here, uh, probably the best best spot to find it all is, is the Help Centre articles. Do you have a link for that we can share or? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so in terms of the information that we have here, um, it, you won't find exactly this, these presentations on, on Help Center, but you will find all the externalized information when it comes to the, the stuff that Oyvind and I are just talking about, if you just search through. Um, so you search for Manufacturer Center or you search for Roadmap on the, the Google Help Center. Okay, thank you very much. Um, appreciate your time, uh, both yourself and Oyvind. Thank you very much. If we can just invite our panelists back. Um, Richard, enjoy uh, the rest of the, uh, the day over there in the Emerald Isle there. I hope you don't sweat too much. <laughs> so I'll thank try. You. Thank you very much. Thanks, chaps. Right. Thanks, Oyvind. Thanks a lot. Right. Take care, bye. Right, guys, so we're on the second part of the session. So this is, uh, for everyone listening out here, this is a panel discussion. So feel free to get involved with your comments and questions. We've already had a couple of questions so far. Uh, I think we should cover off the two questions we've had. Also, I wanted to just let everybody know is if we don't cover anything off and you want to speak to James and, um, and John, then uh, you can join us afterwards. We'll have a little bit of a face-to-face -face sort of like, I suppose, networking session, if you like, virtual. Um, but I just want to start off uh, at the beginning and with the basics, because I'm not sure when we do these things, we have a varied level of expertise in the audience. But just start off, uh, John, what's the difference between Google Ads and Google Shopping? Just If you can just give us a basic overview on that. Yeah, of course. So Google Ads is essentially... Google's advertising platform to be able to go in and pay for traffic across a, a variation of networks. Those networks can be Google Search, Google Display, uh, YouTube, and Google Shopping is one of those networks. So it's very specifically when you will search for a product, you will see those ads come up at the, the top of the search results with the price with a product image, and then also within the shopping tab itself. So it's very much its own network and its own channel, but you can only advertise via that network within Google Ads itself. Um, and uh, the second uh, question uh, I wanted to ask is, uh, we were talking earlier, there's kind of a big debate at the moment in the PPC industry about smart shopping v standard shopping. Um, my question is, what's the difference and how uh, do you see it playing out in the future? I'll come back to you on that, John, if it's okay. Yeah, of course. So the, the main difference between standard and smart shopping is that smart shopping is, is, is running, utilizing Google's machine learning and algorithms. So they're taking a lot of the heavy lifting, a lot of the management away. You essentially just need to feed it with data, give it a budget and give it some targeting and it will take care of all the management for you from that point of view. Standard shopping still requires a, a lot of optimization. So bid management, device management, ad scheduling, you can still add negative keywords, which is you can do with smart shopping, but not to a, a huge degree. So I think the debate really is from PPC managers, a lot of people or in agencies as well, a lot of people would look at smart shopping and think, I'm losing a lot of control. A lot of control is going to Google 
and I think one of the one of the areas that people were very kind of standoffish about was you know, Google. Obviously, Google own the platform where your ads appear, so they own the auction. And smart shopping also allows them to own the management and bidding in their own auction. So it's kind of like if we if we, if we rocked up to an art auction, Google was selling the 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 art, if you like, but also we're deciding what all the bids were to buy that art. That's kind of how smart shopping works to a degree. Now, Google recently in one of their breakfast mornings uh, likened smart shopping uh, that had moved on so much and the, the, the analogy they used was no chess master has ever beaten a, a computer at chess in the last decade and that they also felt that no PPC manager would beat smart shopping anymore. So they're obviously extremely confident, but within the industry, you know, some people still are very much against it. Some people are very much for it. I think it's changed a lot over the last year. Uh, it's still it's still kind of rolling on as a as one of the, probably the most debated things in in PBC at the moment. I mean, what, what, what's your take on it, James? I mean, for me, I'm a huge fan of Smart Shop. To be honest, John, and it, it's a lot of it. It's based on the data they have available to them that no human can compute in such a short space of time. You might be able to give the actual details, but isn't it like something two million data sets in two seconds Google can compute and make bids on? Me and you have been around the block a while now, John. I know you and I couldn't uh, bid manage at that level, so... Uh, I tapped out at three. Yeah, <laughs> so um, it's, for me, it's... Yeah, there's going to be debate amongst it, but I think you have to embrace your automation, embrace the future, what is coming with Google Shopping and things like that. Um, and if you do, you know, as an agency or even just as a, as a PPC manager in-house, if you embrace that automation, find a way to work around it, ultimately future-proofing yourself as a career, but also the businesses you're working with as well. Yeah. No, I, question I, already I, here. Sorry, John. Did you want to add to that? Or no, no, no. That's fine. The question coming here actually from Priscilla. I run a resale vintage costume jewelry and accessory shop. Can I be a merchant with Google? Um, if you've got products to sell online, then yeah, you can absolutely be a merchant with Google. You just need to sign up to a, a merchant center and a Google Ads account, and then you can start selling your products via Google. Absolutely. Via Google Shopping yeah. rather than Google Advertising, right? You would use Google Ads to sell it via Google Shopping. Right, okay. Gotcha. Um, so my next question is, um, in America and France, uh, you can buy directly from Google Shopping. Um, I wasn't aware that you couldn't in the UK, actually, but uh, do you think this will become standard across the globe? I think it'll become an option across the globe. I, I personally don't see it fully removing the need for a website. I think when we, we look at the, the percentage of, of sales that are made direct via Google Shopping as opposed to a website in America and France, it's still a smaller percentage. I think Google would definitely love to amp that up and roll it out worldwide and maybe grow that percentage to a degree. And I think that's pretty much their attempt to try and take on Amazon. Mm -hmm. But I definitely, on the other side, Google is still reliant on websites. So they, they can't on one hand decide that they don't want websites for Google Shopping, but need websites for organic. So it'll be it'll be a bit of a mixed bag, but I, I still think websites will do the majority of the heavy lifting in, in Google Shopping. I mean, they're having that trial as well, haven't they? To be honest, John, like, did you say like, what was this, the numbers from France on the trial that they've been running? Uh, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but the, they weren't high. Yeah, 
it's it, I think a lot of it comes from trust as well. So basically, you're going to be clicking a button without engaging with a website and things like that. Depends how hot Google are going to be in that kind of situation because Marketplace had an issue early days and you know, they still do. They'll have retailers jumping on there. And if someone aren't, isn't checking the reviews and stuff like that, buying a product and it doesn't get sent out, again, there's that trust element with Google. Whereas, you know, if someone clicks an ad on Google, goes through a website, buys the product directly from that website, and the product doesn't arrive, it's nothing to do with Google. They've just sent the traffic there. It's all to do with the website and trusting that element. So I know it's it's they could be opening Pandora's box, and I'm a great believer in sticking to what you're best at. Um, like you say, you try to take on Amazon. Amazon are really good at what they do. Google are really good at what they do. Let's stick it that way. We've got another question here, which is um, about a lady that runs a women's wear boutique via bricks and mortar uh, and online um, where do I start with Google? The only thing I do is Google my business. Is there a cheat sheet on how to use each of these products? Uh, who wants to cover that off? I wish there was a cheat sheet. There's <laughs> <laughs> uh, not. The, the, there's, there's a lot of information out there. I think it's just about finding a trusted partner who you can talk to, who can help you walk you through it, to deliver it and, and give you what you need. And there are some great people out there who can do that. But as for cheat sheets, I, I, there's... There's probably too much data, too much information, and cheat sheets can be incredibly misleading or sometimes too vague. So and do you think, subjective. Yeah, do you, yeah, think you need a partner then really to do Google properly then, uh, James or John? Or, or what if you I'd, I'd say so. Me, me and John will both say so. From the industry, we know like you know, there's a lot of people who work in our space um, for one of a better phrase, a little bit undesirable. So for me, I'd always reach out with a trusted partner, or one, let's say, Google Premier partner, one that has trusted reviews from Google and their clients and things like that. Because where we have a situation where the question you've had there, someone who's never done it before, she could pick up the phone or someone could pick up the phone to her, tell her something that she might well believe because she doesn't understand it ultimately. Mm-hmm. They don't know what care they can take. It's, it's, there's, there's a big trust thing. For me, I'd always say do your due diligence, no research who you're speaking to. And again, like the Google Premier Partner Scheme in particular is getting better and stronger, more stringent. So if you are a member of that scheme, you're generally you know, you're a company worth its salt. And if you're doing it in-house, you either have to hire a really good person or if you're small scale, you have to have a lot of time, I would imagine, to do this properly. I wouldn't say so now, no. We've obviously Google smart shopping out there, but I just try and read and try and use whatever health guides are available. Google are getting better on educating the end user rather than the the, um, agency as well in regards to this. So I'd I'd, I'd have a good read around Google smart shopping and smart bidding activities in particular, um, particularly ones done created by Google. If you are starting on a small budget, that would be my advice. But Mm -hmm. again, and, and John will testify this, if you're not putting good data into this it will never work to what you expect it to do so no you, 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 it's not as simple as just putting some ads on there getting some traffic someone click on your website and buy your product it doesn't work that way you know data is key um so yeah don't go into it half half effort i guess half-hearted yeah that's the word i'm not caught hearted half-hearted and then, um, so we spoke a little bit about, you spoke a little bit about websites and how Google, you know, obviously they do depend on websites. So uh, Google Shopping is great for convert, con- connecting you with potential buyers, obviously, but uh, how much responsibility then is on the actual website in order to convert it? Can you give us a bit of a ratio type thing? We know it's, you know, it's always, it's the old, you can get the horse to water, but you can't force yeah. it drink. That's exactly what it is, though, isn't it? It's, no, you could you could have the best budget, the best PPC account manager in the world, and the best products. But 
if you're not sending people to the right pages or you send the right pages, but the website doesn't look great, it takes a while to load. Um, there's nothing to entice you. The, you know, the price isn't great. There's so many different factors. So for example, the shameless plug Salesfire, we have a range of tools that help people convert online. So for example, you might be searching for men's Paul Smith polo shirt and you go on there, you go on a website and then you might be doing what I'm going to have a look for more of this and look for the price. I'm not too happy with the price. We have a tool that will highlight that when people go and highlight the title, we have a tool which will give them a promo unit based on that to say, you know, don't go there. He's a 5% discount code or something along them lines. It's you've, you've got to really work smart because getting the traffic is only one element of it. Um, so any retailer, again, really wants to give this a good go and you, you, you want to convert more. You've got to get, yeah, I've got my traffic there. I'm happy what I'm doing there, but it's not converting as it should do on site. I'm not just having problems with Google shopping, but my organic traffic isn't converting very well. My social traffic isn't converting very well. I need to look at conversion rate optimization. I need to look at what tools or what expertise I can get to convert that traffic at a higher rate. Because ultimately, that's what's going to really make you money. John, what's your biggest frustrations when you send people to clients' websites? And, you know, you know what's your biggest frustration from... Yeah, I mean, it's exactly what GMC. You can you can send all the right traffic to a website, but the website is is not built in a way or fast enough or clear enough to convert that traffic. Yeah. Then a lot of that frustration normally gets passed back to the person who's managing Google Shopping. It's sort of it's you know it's it's a bit symbiotic. At the end of the day, you can put the right traffic there, just like a football team. You can sign the best winger, but if you if you striker is absolutely no good, which is your website, then it's not going to put the ball on the back of the net. So that there's a million when things when that can go wrong. It happens all the time. <laughs> We've not brought Messi and Ronaldo out yet, but if you can make the website a Messi, then you know, you're know you definitely going to be on to win it. Google Shopping is great for driving, some Google Ads, great for driving the right type of traffic to the website and trying to capture that traffic at the right time when the user is ready to make a purchase. But if you're... And we see it all the time. We we see a great example at this time of year is looking at the outdoor furniture market. So we see because of what happened with COVID last year, sales went absolutely through the roof. They were phenomenal. That level of sales isn't quite happening this year. But the other thing that's been compounded with that is the stock's not available. We've had Brexit. There are, I think it was you that was mentioning me, Dale. We've got less containers available there is less stock being able to come from china there's less stock being able to come in from europe so if you're going to try and buy a nice maze rattan garden furniture set chances are if you find a website right now they're going to deliver it to you by november so you could have found somebody who wants that and wants to part with two thousand pound right now to buy that but they don't want it to come in the winter yeah so it yeah. can be it can be the website that's the issue it can be the pricing that's the issue it can be shipping and logistics that's the issue there's so many things and i think a lot of the time as well this is where we see again going back to this point on on garden furniture if you drop somebody on the website and they see that product because they've come through a shopping ad and they can't get it if the website then doesn't cross sell them or switch sell them to another product which is pretty similar that is in stock then you might as well not bother it in the first place. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, it's interesting you say about that. One of our logistics partners say there's going to be a lot of uh, stock not getting to the shelves at Christmas time due to this uh, lack of containers uh, in China. So he didn't uh, pick on any particular sector, actually. Um, I did ask him about fashion, but he said, yeah, you're going to see quite a lot of gap 
it's on the shelves at Christmas. Just a couple more questions coming in here, chaps, if that's okay. Um, can you explain the difference between merchant centre and manufacturing centre? If you own the brand, would you use manufacturing centre? And if you are reseller, would you use a merchant centre? Good question, John. So if you own the brand, you would have a manufacturer centre and a merchant centre. Your manufacturer's centre would give you control over who your resellers are and what information they would use. And the merchant centre is what would be a, what would allow you to sell via Google Shopping. If you were just a retailer, you would utilise the, the, the merchant centre, but ask your brands of whom you're selling about them if they have a manufacturer's centre. Because a lot of time you're able to draw down on some of that data and some of that information. And I think one of the one of the key things we saw from the guys at Google, what they were talking about was, I'm not sure how much detail they went into, but retailers are now able to, are going to be able to partner with brands. So, for instance, if they can go and partner with a brand, let's say you're selling Nike trainers and you're bidding 20 pence to sell a certain pair of trainers, you can now partner with Nike via their manufacturer centre and Nike can top you up 20 pence in your bid. So it effectively make you bid 40 pence, which is going to make your ads appear above everybody else. So they're getting very, it's great for Google because it's just increasing bids, but it's very, very tactical. So some of the better retailers will be, will be or the better sellers or people who are new or taken on certain ranges are going to be able to plug into that kind of strategic sort of pricing model. With That's bidding. really interesting. They, they used to do that. Um, before the war actually back in the old days in retail some some of the bigger stores and brands would actually work together on joint advertising campaigns so i guess it's just digitizing what's the old school way of doing things another question here in chat uh what top three google products do you recommend for a small business who would like to pick that up well for me it, it, it's it's very subjective that point but it depends on what the business is what it sells and you know are you a no, it, do you sell, are you a brand that sells four products in your range and things like that? So for me, I, I wouldn't look down the Google shopping route, for example. I'd probably look at more display advertising, brand awareness, stuff like that. So maybe display, YouTube, search, for example. It's a massively, massively subjective question, to be honest. All I would say, again, it probably goes to the point myself and John said earlier, um, I would reach out to a partner who, who knows what they're talking about and ask them for their advice. And say, okay, I'm, I'm in this situation. This is what I'm trying to achieve. What Google products would you recommend to me and why? Or maybe even a marketplace. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, I'll move on to my next question then. Um, and this is getting into sort of marketing stuff, which is, which I, which I love. Um, so, how big a factor is sort of pricing on Google Shopping? And how does automation affect the whole merchandising? and ultimately your margin. Uh, Jonathan, you and I have had a conversation about this before, so I'll come to you on that, if, that, if that, that's okay. Tell us a little bit of how pricing affects things. Yeah, of course. So pricing is a ranking factor in Google Shopping. So if we, if, we kind of, if we try and understand how Google get paid, they get paid every time someone clicks on an ad. So more often than not, Google want to show products that are more competitively priced. So one of the things we saw Google talk about earlier was their price competitiveness report. So they're really keen to make sure that all retailers understand where their pricing stacks up against their competitors and to be as competitive as possible. So the, the lower the price, the greater the chance that you are going to win the click and the more chance that Google are going to give you a better position. 
So if, if everybody, for instance, bid exactly the same on exactly the same product data, and we had five re- we had five retailers, four of them were the same price, and one of them was 10% cheaper, the guy who's cheaper is going to be in the first position because that's what Google understands will we'll win the click in, in their opinion because people are price-driven. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you need – because in Amazon, everything feels like a race to the bottom. Where you just got to, if you lower your price and lower your price and lower your price, you get the, the the buy now box and you win the sale. And that's what Amazon ultimately wants. With Google and the way shopping works, and especially with COVID, it doesn't necessarily have to be that. So people will definitely still tab browse. So they might click on the cheapest, but then they might go there and that website might say it's going to take three weeks to deliver. They might not like the delivery cost. They might enter the website and feel like it doesn't really feel like a very trustworthy website. So they will still come back. I personally would pay a little bit more for a more trustworthy website to get something quicker than something that's going to take three or four weeks. But in terms of a ranking factor, price is, is definitely key for Google. And I think another thing that they touched on earlier in the, in the webinar was they, they were looking to bring in automated price reductions, yep. which is interesting on one hand because of your price like your advertising doesn't match the price on your website, they'll immediately disapprove you in Google Shopping. But they seem to be getting a way to work around this where they're almost going to pass you the information to see your competitors are charging £1 for this product. You're charging £1.20. Do you want to reduce it to £1? So pricing is really important to them. But then it comes back to if, if you are just going to change your pricing on the fly, how does that affect your margin? How, how are you able to set up for that? And it comes back to James's point earlier about your data. Because if, if you're not able to pass your margin and that information into whatever platform you're using, then what, at what point do you start losing money because your pricing's become too low? I mean, well, how, how does that look on your side, James, when people kind of hit the website and pricing's an issue? Uh, how, how do you see that? Well, I'd probably agree on every point you said there, to be honest, John. So like you say, there's, the price is only one of the reasons people buy a product. There's so many other things. You no, know, people just like, I, I need it next day. So they'll go to an ASOS because they know they're going to get that product next day. But yeah, if, if someone's sitting our website, I think one of our websites, you know, the price isn't what it should be. People are generally leaving them quite quickly. But yeah, you've, you've again, We've touched on it earlier. You're working hard and you're paying money to get that click to your website. And you've, you know, let's say you're looking, you might have paid a pound a click and you've had so many clicks and you're not converting. You really need to work hard to convert that click and you've got to make sure you get as much trust as possible. You tell them the delivery time, your reviews are on there from reviews that I or trust pilot, whoever you're using for that. And the website is quick enough to really pull in that sale and it's working hard for you to do that. Otherwise, it's, it's, it's a waste of time, really. This, your price is only one of the metrics. I say price is going to help you get that click on Google, but again, you've only just got the click there. What else are you going to do? It's like the, before the war. Again, it's you know, price, product, place, promote. It's all kind of, they're all knit in, in you know, it's the marketing mix, mm-hmm. I, I guess, really, what we're talking about. Um, so what I want to ask next is, um, is there any circumstances where you might not want to use Google Shopping at all? I have to ask the question. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can think of two that immediately kind of jump out. Uh, one, your product margins might not be good enough to be able to absorb marketing. And secondly, depending on where you are in sort of your business journey, when it, when it comes to Google Shopping, you've, you've always got to, if you're brand new to it, you've got something that I always refer to, and James will know what I'm talking about, is, is buying data. You don't know, you don't know what's going to work till you spend some money. 
You might spend £100 and get nothing, and then you might spend £101 and get your sale. But you have to commit some money to it. And it, it, it has to be a meaningful amount of money. We're not talking thousands, but you have to commit enough money to it to be able to buy that data. Whereas if you've got a limited budget, you might prefer to go on Amazon because then you only pay a percentage of a sale. So you're only paying when you're getting those sales. So it, it depends on what your product is and, and what your budget is, to be honest. It's, it needs to be looked at. And quite too often, some people, I ask what people in the past where they'll say, right, we've got a business, this is what we sell, we've worked it out. If we want to be on Google Shopping, but we need a 5,000% ROAS for this to work. <laughs> okay, <laughs> great. Uh, good luck with that, but there's nothing you can really do with that. There's, that's something wrong with the business model and there's something wrong with the margin, so Google Shopping wouldn't be for them. Okay. If you're going to start, you need to look at, if you sell a product, how much is it going to cost to sell that product on Google Shopping? And then start from there. I don't know. What, what do you think, James? Yeah, he's yeah, nodding away profusely in the corner there, James. <laughs> yeah, well, there's two for me. First of all, it depends on like the type of product you're selling. So, for example, if you're a lifestyle brand and you've got four or five products, it's a relatively new brand and you're thinking, I'm going to shot a £1,000 a month into Google Ads. I'm going to make loads of money off it. You've got a very small product inventory. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go down Google shopping myself personally. And also, if you are, again, it, it, you're a, let's say you're a startup no money in regards to marketing budget is quite tight and you say I'm going to put 500 pound into this but it has to do this for me otherwise I'm screwed you're going into it like John said with the wrong mindset you know you've got to go up for the long term buying your data making a good go of this with again with someone who knows what they're doing to get you through that otherwise you could be throwing good money at bad and it's not the right mindset to go into something like this okay um I'm just going to jump in uh, at this stage just John you mentioned a little bit about going on to Amazon or a third-party marketplace we do actually have an event coming up uh, in a month or so about managing marketplaces and uh, I, I think I had this conversation the other day and I'm pretty sure it was with you actually John is like some people like might have the resources to do Google shopping so you know actually working with a marketplace might be the best thing for them to get their brand off the, the, the ground I mean both of you are nodding here James have you got any thoughts on marketplaces in respect yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm a fan of them to an extent. I, I'm not a big fan of you know, the 15% that Amazon like to take off, yeah? Um, but then again, it, it is a low-risk proposition to try and get product out the door, but I've seen a lot of it in the past where, let's say, for example, you're a retailer, you're, you're going to put your full product inventory on eBay, you're going to give it a go, but you do absolutely nothing with the data afterwards. It's a wasted exercise because you are giving away a lot of margin to try and get that sale. For me, do it. Get on marketplaces, get your product through the door, but really monitor that data. If you can, if you can, you know, through eBay, I know you can pull the customer data and get them into your email database and start hammering them that way. Otherwise, it's a complete waste exercise. All you're doing is you, you're going to sell a lot of product for a, not a lot of margin. You're not going to have a profitable business long term there. Mm. You've got anything to add on that, John, or do you want to save it to the, uh, to the marketplace talk? Because you are on that panel. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, James is right. I think it comes down to which which marketplace is right for your business, because you've you've got uh, new up and comers like OnBuy, who are constantly growing and doing better and better. And I think everyone looks at Amazon and thinks, well, we you know we need to sell on Amazon. But lots, I think lots of people forget that Amazon's like a bit. It's a bit of a barbed hook. Once you're on it, you can't get off it. And all the customers you sell to on Amazon are not your customers. Yeah. They're Amazon's customers. They won't tell you who they are. You can't leave Amazon and then gather, have those customers follow you. So once you're on, you're on. And you know, James mentioned 15% there commission. Some people are getting charged 17%. Some people are getting charged 20%. 
And Amazon do love to mine the data and work out what products are selling really, really well and how Amazon can potentially make those products, which is why Amazon basic batteries are the best-selling battery in the world now. Which segments nicely onto my next question, which is the ultimate question, really. Um, And it's getting into sort of a bit more thought leadership type, a bit more of a philosophical aspect here, but how much of a uh, threat do you see Amazon to Google? Um, Do we see sort of a bit of a clash of the titans panning out between them two? What are your thoughts on that? James, I'll come to you first. Um, They've always been a threat, haven't they? But that's when it comes back to my previous point in regards to like, Stick to what you're best at. Amazon's a really good marketplace. And if you want product quickly, you want to check the price that it's selling there, you know, you've got the element of trust and you're just going to buy it from Amazon. Google's a brilliant search engine. It gives you brilliant results. Um, there's going to be a need for both of them. Obviously, Amazon pay to advertise on Google as well. And, you know, like it's, yeah, there's always going to be a conversation in regards to which one of the best are they a threat to each other. Ultimately, they are a threat, yeah. But as long as you stick to what you're good at, as, as as these powerhouses they are and keep investing and making what they're good at better, they're always going to be the leaders in their industry. Mm-hmm. What about you, Tom? Yeah. I think it's a bit of both. So Amazon will obviously pose a threat to Google. Google Shopping will pose a threat to Amazon. Uh, it's interesting what you, James said. Amazon are probably Google's biggest customer on Google Shopping. Mm-hmm. And they have been kicked off before. Uh, but then if you go and try and search for a, a Google smart speaker on Amazon, you won't find one you'll just get the echo dot. So they, they play little games with each other all the time. Uh, Google definitely, they want what Amazon have got. So if you said Google were the biggest search engine in the world, Amazon's probably the biggest product search engine in the world. You know, I was reading, is it 54% of every product sold in Europe is sold on Amazon? And that's for Google to try and break down as they want to try and grow Google shopping. I think they all watch each other. So, you know, there's Amazon, there's Google, there's Apple and there's Facebook. They're all watching each other. They're all trying to, to compete with each other and they're all trying to steal from each other. I'd argue that smart shopping might not fully exist if loads of advertisers hadn't jumped into Facebook ads, mm-hmm. which doesn't really give you a lot of data, but we're willing to spend the money for Google to be able to look at it and go, well, you don't care about getting data from them. So we'll do the same thing. And then there's a big kind of big fuss about it. Uh, so they're both a threat to each other. I think Google wanting to sell more direct through Google is Google's version of Seller Central against Amazon. But Amazon, it's, in one hand, it's re- they're really difficult to beat with because they'll drive you to the bottom. And logistically, <laughs> you can't compete with them. Like It would take Google mm. decades to build up logistics that Amazon have got. Amazon have got ex-admirals and generals from the Navy sailing fleets around the world it's ridiculous to think but they've got their own airlines their own their own boats they've got they've got everything so it's uh it, it's really hard to compete but these guys will mm. we call them the four horsemen who will constantly just look to compete with each other and unfortunately convenience is is one of the f- deciding factors when we purchase products you know it's, it's quite it was, there was an article out recently and i can't remember where it is so um don't quote me exactly on this, but I think a lot, one of the biggest driving factors for Amazon is the convenience of it rather than necessarily the price. Um, in fact, I think it was Mintel, I think. So if you're listening, you might have to cross-check this. But yeah, I think it was convenience was one of the biggest dividers, um, drivers there. Um, okay, I've got a couple more questions before we come to the end. So my next one then, again, it's a bit more of a thought leadership uh, question. is, um, and it, 
in the future, do you think uh, brands uh, will need a standalone store with all these Google products and stuff out there, or or do you think it can be all done on you know Google Shopping and Amazon, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Store. They still have to have a brand experience. They still have to have a presence. They still have to be able to sell products on their website, and ultimately. We don't know how things will change, but you'll have retailers or brands who want to sell a certain amount of products on their websites, certain amount of products in marketplaces. If we look at Nike, for instance, since 2017, they changed their entire focus to go direct to consumer. Okay. You know, they, they pulled massively out of Amazon. They pulled massively out of marketplaces. They're pushing everything towards their own website. And we've seen other brands that have followed suit. So I don't think websites are ever, ever, ever going away that depending on the technology that delivers them in the future, whether we're looking at websites and a hologram on our wrist, I think we'll still be looking at websites. Absolutely. Yeah. James. Yeah, I completely agree. You'll always need your own website, your own brand, like you say, your own experience, because your experience is a huge selling point as well. And if you can give someone a better experience on your website, and again, we are getting around the world of more personalization in the shopping experience through the website as well. Um, you can't get that via a marketplace because you're completely dictated to by whoever the marketplace is, how that transaction goes through. So you will always need that. Yeah, people are going to sell on marketplace. Like John said, you're going to have some product you sell marketplace, some you'll sell via your website. It depends, but the need for it, your own website, your own brand is always going to be there. Mm. And we have the, the, one of the, uh, the rising uh, stars in the tech retail tech sector is uh, Shopify. We haven't mentioned them today. It's quite interesting to see what they're up to. And what movements they're doing, but I think that's probably for another day, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I, I still think Google should buy them. Really? I, I personally think that might happen in the future. Google and Shopify have built up a great little partnership at the moment. And if Google wanted to build their own marketplace to take on Amazon, you only need to buy Shopify and build a marketplace from every website that's already plugged into Shopify and given you data. Well, that was that was my one of my last questions to you. Actually, do you think Google will end up being a, a marketplace, or do you think they're going to steer clear of that? Uh, I think Google are currently moving in one hundred and fifty-seven thousand different directions, <laughs> and whichever one <laughs> works, yeah, whichever one works is the one they'll tell you they wanted to work. They're so big they can try everything, and mm. you know they, they literally are kind of one of those ridiculous conglomerates that you watch comedy programs about. Where I'm sure there's there's a department right now trying to work out if they can make people invisible. You know, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise us. What do you think, James, on that question? Do you think um, they're going to place or? Yeah, well, obviously they're trying it with regards to the buy button straight away through there. So that's uh, dipping the toe in the water. Right, you see, you know, people forget Google also tried social media and failed massively on it as well. Um, they will try these things. Um, yeah, it's honestly, if they bought some like a Shopify though, I think that that would let's be honest there's a lot of these other e-commerce platforms which will soon go to the wayside if google put their budget into what is already a huge budget at a shopify it, it's interesting to pan out but yeah they'll certainly like john said they certainly will try it and they'll certainly dip the ton of water at least but will it work i don't know okay. we've got time for one last question if anyone out there has one if not, could, could i ask james a question yeah of course you can sorry go on john do you, do you think smart shopping will fully replace standard shopping as in like standard shopping will just disappear? Absolutely, yeah. I really do think so. I hope so as well. I really hope so. I, I think it's better for the retailer. Um, it's, it, us as human beings, John, we can only do so much. And uh, the robot is stronger than the, the human brain in this instance, so I think they will do. What about you? Yeah, I agree. I think 
If, again, I, I know I've gone back to Google's presentation, but I kept scribbling down every time they talked about a new tool or an innovation that was in the presentation earlier. And nine, I think it was 90% of them said only available in smart shopping. Yeah. So it, it already feels to me like the phase out has, has begun. You know, I think it has on an agency point as well, like that, you no, know, basically your Google Premier Partner ranking will be based on your adoption of smart bidding and smart shopping. So they're only going to start supporting agencies that fully embrace their technology, which is smart bidding. So there we go. I think that, that kind of tells you exactly, you no, know, if they're steering the agencies that way, that means it's going to steer the, the retailers at mass as well, which means yeah. they can phase it out. So just... Um... As we're coming, we're sort of running out of time slightly. So, what what do you think Google Google Shopping will look like in the next uh, three to five years? If you can give us a quick s- sentence each. Uh, yeah, like like nothing that nothing like it does right now. <laughs> yeah, I'll second that. It's uh, yeah. I think uh, me me and James have been at this a long time. So I think kind of James is one of the few people I know who's been doing this about sixteen years, isn't it, James? Yeah, yeah. And I'm about fifteen years as well. So we went through a period where nothing changed for a long time and now everything's changing a lot a lot every week yeah so much change going on so what it'll look like in the future it'll it'll be completely different fantastic thanks chaps uh really appreciate that if uh anybody who's listening in now wants to have a chat with john and james directly or myself if you like um john's team will also be uh in the meeting immediately after this the link is in the chat if you just click on that, it'd be great if you could join us. It'd be great if you could pop your camera on as well so we can see you. And you'll just have a, unfortunately, there's no bar and I can't buy you a drink or anything like that. So, but you will be able to have a sort of like a chit chat with James, John, myself, and um, our uh, respective teams. Uh, so, I mean, I just want to sort of say, uh, uh, I really appreciate um, your time today, uh, chaps. And I could have carried on having this conversation, or maybe we will a little bit in the breakout room after this. So a uh, huge uh, round of applause for you two. And I'll see you shortly in the networking event um, in the other room. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks for having you. us. Thank you. Bye-bye.